this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Ziak and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode. Thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com. That's digmeoutunion.com. And it just so happens, Jay, that this episode was selected by the folks at the board of directors and steering committee levels of our Patreon community. They're the ones directing the ship on the roundtables this year. That's right. And they picked a doozy. Yeah, this is popular. A lot of comments, a lot of conversation. Yes. So people will probably know if they've listened to us in the past that we do a series called Sophomore Slump Revisited where we take albums in the 90s because there were a lot of big-selling debut records, but then a lot of not-such- successful or not so successful follow-ups and we try to figure out whether it was simply a matter of the band didn't have enough time and they they put out a subpar second record if they actually did make a second record that was good but maybe the times had changed and they weren't supported by radio or their record label screwed up the promotion or or what have you so we try to look at some examples every year of of sophomore slumps that didn't work out We're, we're reversing it we're going in the opposite direction, Jay. Sophomore slumps exist, you know, throughout all aspects of life. Movies have directors because their second movie is good as their first. Athletes sophomore slumps, but then there are some whose sophomore years are even better. They high as, school students. Yes, college students. If the word sophomore or second is involved in any aspect. <laughs> You can reverse that, Jay. I like to call it reversing the curse. If you are doing something for the second time, you can either do it better or worse than the first right. time. Those are the two options. You cannot match it exactly. You can only do better or worse. To help us discover or, or, or consider or debate or argue, because I got a feeling there's going to be some debating going on, because some of this is going to be real subjective. It's not all objective. We're not talking just about album sales. We're talking about albums that the band put out a good, solid freshman effort, and then the sophomore album came out and was like, wow, this is even better. But by whose judgment? Is it by album sales? Is it by radio play singles? Is it by simply by critical acclaim? We're going to discuss that for a whole bunch of different bands that have been discussed in the Patreon community as well as the folks that are joining us tonight. We've got a full roundtable, just like our last roundtable and like we're doing We've got a couple of veterans joining us, plus a patron joining us for the first time. So from Hamilton, on, on, Hamilton Ontario, Hamilton, Ohio. <laughs> See, I grew up in Buffalo, so Hamilton, Ontario is like right across the, right across the uh, the lake. That's that it's was a Tiger Cat. Yeah, <laughs> and number forty three of the Hamilton Tiger Cats. <laughs> Jeremy Amen. Jeremy, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for having me, eh? <laughs> Thank you for playing along <laughs> well with, my, with my mistake. Um, 
I asked you along because you had a lot of comments about what a sophomore slump uh, reverses, what, what people did to fight it. And there were literally so many comments. I said, I cannot read all these comments on the show. So you are now responsible for reading all of your comments. Uh, just so you know, I will not be touching. Well, crap. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Jo- that is the secret sauce for getting on the podcast. You simply overwhelm me with comments and I'm like, forget it. Just come on the show and talk about them. Joining Jeremy are two veterans of the podcast. One who just went through a storm with me here in Ohio. Chip Midnight, welcome back. Thanks for having me. Did you uh, get hail too? We got heavy rain and oh. thunder and lightning. I don't know if we got hail or not. It sounded like it, but I didn't see any. Oh, we, Yeah, we got some. We got some. For those who don't know, uh, who are not listening to the live feed, but are actually listening to us, the uh, recorded episode that is released on Tuesday, um, I, we had a power outage at my location, and uh, I'm broadcasting from my neighbor's house because that's how dedicated I am this podcast i will go mobile it's like the rolling stones mobile setup in the in the 1970s i'm taking this on the road i'm at the i'm at the uh the french mansion making sure this happens finally hi it's been a while mr copany jim copany joining us from chicago uh welcome back i know you've got thoughts oh yes oh yes instantly as soon as i asked him he said here's here's one so we're going to get to that. So there's a couple different ways I want to approach this. There are sophomore slumps, or sophomore. I got now. I got to correct myself because I'm going to say there's there's sophomore albums that exceeded in terms of clearly just in terms of sales. You know, the first album sells a million copies, and then the next album comes out and sells 10, 10 million copies. A million copies is nice, but ten million is even better. Um, then there are critical reversals where. Maybe the first one was a success, but the second one people went, oh, wow, this is a legit artist. We can get into those as well. And then there are the debatable ones where the first album and the second album are really strong, but they might have differences. And you personally might think this is a stronger sophomore album than debut. And that's where the fun debating will get in. I am going to start with our, our newest guest, Jeremy. Throw out one of the um, picks you have for a superior sophomore album that uh, is the criteria of, you know, the, the the debut did fine in terms of sales and singles and stuff like that, but the second one just blew that out of the water. Do you have any examples of that in your list? Uh, well, the first one that I'm thinking of right off the bat, um, and I actually have a question about it too, is um, is Wilco's being there. Okay. Um, and I just, I'm wondering, I don't know if double albums count as double sales or not, because if they if they don't, then that album, I think, technically outsells Summer Teeth as well, which uh, is kind of impressive. But uh, so it's kind of a based on charting. But then also, I just think it's a I love AM, but it's much better than AM. Um, I'll agree with you. I think it counts as one album because it was packaged together. I think it wouldn't count as one album if it was like Use Your Illusion 1 and 2, which were actually released as two different albums. So yeah, they have separate I, sales. If I remember correctly at the time, uh, Jeff Tweedy actually had a deal with the record label that they would sell the album for a single album price and the band would eat um, some of the losses and the profits because it's, in fact, a double album. So I'm going to I'm gonna guess it's kind of... Yeah, and I concur with you. I think that that's a, an excellent example of a, a band that put out a solid debut with, you know, it had recognition. There was a video on MTV and all that stuff. And then the second album is amazing. 
So yeah, I mean, I'm not not picking a blockbuster out of the gate there as far as the no. first album goes, but uh, but I, I just I think those four albums are all pretty much. I, they're kind of all in the same league for me, but um, right. sales-wise, I was surprised to see that that second one outsold them, or outsold the other two of the first three. Jim, give me an example, uh, like with Jeremy, of one that you have where the the debut was fine, it sold okay, and then the second one is where the band takes off. I'm gonna throw two in that bucket just because they're both from Chicago. And they they kind of immediately went to mind. One of them would be Local H's blew the doors off sales wise. Yep. And then the other one would be the Smashing Pumpkins, Siamese Dream. Yeah. And Gish, I think is, I think Gish is a great album, but Siamese Dream not only had even stronger songs in it, but I mean everybody bought it. It's the kind of album that if you look in somebody's CD collection in 1995, 1996, it was always. It was there, probably right next to Dave Matthews Band, including the Blowfish. Yeah, and that, I mean, with regards to the Pumpkins, the while the debut was fine, it does not in any way indicate how huge that band was going to be in terms of him writing radio singles, like with Today and, right. and Rocket and Disarm. I mean, that that was just a stratospheric difference. Uh, good, good you're starting out with the hometown bands. I like that. Chip. So that means you have to go with only Columbus bands at this. <laughs> no, uh, what are you uh, uh, exactly? Um, what are some picks that uh, that you have for this particular category? So my pick is one that it's not so much that um, that I liked it more than the first record. I think I got into this band on their sophomore record, and it became my favorite of theirs. And so I went back and listened to the first one, but. Uh, it was really the second one is where I discovered him first, but that would be on um, Pavements, Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain. Darling, don't you go and cut your hair. Do you think it's gonna make him change? I'm just a boy with a new haircut, and that's a pretty nice haircut. Charge it like a puzzle, hitman wearing muzzles. Hesitate to die, look around, around. The second drummer drowned, this telephone is Ah, uh, yeah, I think that came up in the comments a little bit. So, Slanted and Enchanted, I didn't, I didn't listen to Slanted and Enchanted for many years after I heard Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain. I think, like I said, my introduction to the band was probably the Cut Your Hair video. So that like kind of became my instant favorite album of theirs. Okay. So a couple albums that I want to mention that people in the comments made that I think fit this category, and we can discuss them. Uh, one, Jason Pan brought up Radiohead. He said, the, you know, the debut, a one-hit wonder band moving to something more gigantic. Yep. I think that they fall under this category. And I think I, that's a solid pick. Another one, which I hadn't thought of, but it, after he mentioned it, I think, I think it's correct. Um, Gary Moran said that the first that comes to mind is Alice in Chains. Facelift was good, but Dirt is incredible. Did uh, Facelift sold pretty well, though, right? Right, but I think I think Dirt Man of the Box was huge. Yeah, I think Dirt far outsold Facelift. Yeah, there's Mike. I'm guessing that Facelift is probably in the ten million range, probably in, in, in minimum, like worldwide. Another one that uh, came up, and I'm not sure if it falls into this category or if it would fall into uh, a really good debut and then a, a even further 
on the on the sophomore, but we can debate this. Stone Temple Pilots. I had actually been kind of thinking about them because what what's the sophomore? Is that purple? That's purple. Yeah, because that that definitely has. That's when they start to show that they're fans of Cheap Trick and Power Pop, and they the songwriting opens up from being such a grunge derivative, Pearl Jam, Allison Chains ripoff, into something that I think would start to really leverage Scott Weiland's more chameleon like vocal tendencies. Yeah. And yeah. uh, Allison Chain's Dirt was four times platinum. Facelift was two times platinum. There you go. So is that four million versus eight million? Um, I guess. <laughs> is that what platinum is? What is platinum? In the nineties. What is? I plat- think platinum's one million. Oh, it's one million. Oh, okay. Yeah. Huh. That then Dirt sold less than I expected, but couple couple of the big ones. I, Foo Fighters, Color and the Shape, mm-hmm. was like twice sold twice as much as the uh, the debut Oasis. What's the story? Morning Glory sold double what the other album did. Yeah, that Foo Fighters one's tough because I personally I really like the debut. Me too. But you, uh, I think the second record you really hear like a very unique band and how expansive they could become. I think the first record is it's good, but it's like one sound to me. Yeah, I could see that. I do like the energy of the first record a lot more than the energy of the second record, but uh, they're kind of equal in my book in different ways. Mike Bond also mentioned Radiohead in Smashing Pumpkins. Some other bands he mentioned was uh, PJ Harvey, her second record, which is Rid of Me. Yeah, and I, I if we ever do a um, a third album that's that's even stronger, that, that would probably... Her, her ascension just goes and goes as far as her albums. And then one of the other ones he mentioned uh, was one that, Jim, you brought up when I first brought this topic to you, which is Blur. And yeah. so the first album is, I'm trying to remember, do that, did they have any singles off that first record? Yeah, there yeah. Was, There's No Other Way was one of the singles. I mean, oh, they, okay. were, they, had, they had kind of abandoned their art rock pretensions from when they were called Seymour. So their debut was more... I felt like it was trying to catch on to a bit of the Madchester wave, that whole Happy Monday Stone Roses thing, while at the same time throwing a little bit of shoegaze, and that did okay for them. But then when they brought out Modern Life is Rubbish, that's when you start to really get the, the sharp, concise pop, and it's I think it's kind of the genesis of Britpop. Um, they set down a lot of the early markers for what was going to happen in Park Life, and once the world explode. I was going to say, the interesting thing about the uh, PJ Harvey and the uh, the Blur thing is that both of those second albums really didn't do much better than the first chart-wise or sales-wise, I don't believe. But uh, they're definitely evolutions in, of the band and I think better albums. Yeah, yeah. I think it, it kind of it cemented their artistic vision, set, set the roadmap for where they were going to go. From right, that point right. Out. You can see that they're evolving into something that they was not there on the first record. But when, when it comes to big smash hits, I'm kind of surprised none of you folks in Ohio had brought up uh, The Breeders' Last Flash. Because that was their sophomore album after Pop. Mm-hmm. That's that true. That's true. That's a huge sophomore record. Got a, a bunch of singles on that one. Um, we, we didn't bring it up yet. <laughs> it, it probably would have gotten brought up at some point. But we don't, we don't want to hog all the Ohio choices either. That's the thing. So Alex Martin, he mentioned, like you, Chip, he mentioned Pavement's Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain. 
He also mentioned some controversial ones that I, I know you guys want to talk about. Pinkerton over the Blue Album. Mm. I'm in that camp. Anybody who's not in that camp. From a artistic standpoint, you're saying? I or think just the, from what, I, I what think we like? songwriting throughout the whole album is better. I mm. think the lyrical content is more interesting on the second record. I think it's it it the the raw guitar tone drum sound is more interesting than the super clean Rick Ocasek production on the first record. Uh, everything about that record to me is is just one notch above what the, mm. and the debut is very good, but it's like very tightly controlled and crisp. And See, I'm, on, I'm on the fence because to me the Blue Album doesn't have a single bad song. It's almost like the textbook definition of a perfect power pop, fuzz rock, however you want to call it, album. Um, it's just, it's it's flawless in that respect. When it comes to having a longer effect over time, I think you probably have to hand that to Pinkerton because I think there are a lot more bands that have been influenced by the sound and the lyrical approach to Pinkerton and a bit of that rawness and the, the more emotional heft to it than the Blue Album. But I, I think that's a really tough one because they're both great in their own ways. It's almost like watching two different bands to a certain extent. Yeah. I, I'm with you on that. I, I see them as equals, but different. And like they have their own um, things about each one of them that's unique that um, I appreciate. Okay. You get a little bit more, um, uh, a little bit more of a fun vibe out of that first album and maybe a little bit more introspective or, or serious vibe out of the second album and i think some people are pushed away by the the rawness like kind of a like i th- think people saw it as a drop in production quality i mean it really wasn't but i think at th- when it came out um el scorcho really pushed me away um i didn't really fully check that album out until years later but uh i think i'm kind of with jay on that i think they're kind of equals i think it just depends on what you want when you go to listen to weezer okay yeah, I would say I, I when I listen to Weezer, I always pick up Pinkerton to start, or that's or if I'm going on Spotify, that's where I start streaming. Then the Blue Album, and then I don't know where I go. I do the same thing, but I think it's. I wonder if it's because Blue Album, the hits on the Blue Album were so maybe overplayed. I mean, right. they were everywhere, and so I'm. It's a great album, and I love that album, but it's it's. I, I go to Pinkerton first also just because those songs aren't as ingrained in my head as the Blue Album songs are. Yeah, that's a good point. It, it didn't have the same commercial impact at the time. Um, Alex Martin also mentioned a band that maybe does not have a big commercial footprint, but critically they do, and that's Neutral Milk Hotel. And he said he went with... Uh, in the Airplane Over the Sea, which is their second record, one of the best albums of the 90s period, and infinitely more listenable than their sound refining on Avery Island. That's I think that that's pretty no-brainer right there. Although that's a band that, you know, have they sold anywhere near, you know, most of the huge bands we're talking about? No, but the critically, they're, and in terms of influence, probably right up there. Yeah, I, I, they're kind of uh, my music version of uh, Shawshank Redemption in that they came out and probably went up against some other more serious competitors, you know, that maybe weren't as deserving, uh, kind of like um, Forrest Gump. 
And uh, years later, you know, people look back and they see this as a, a, a diamond in the rough. Interesting. I hadn't thought about it, Shawshank tie-in, but that's a uh, way to keep it in Ohio. <laughs> I mean, they're also the, they're also the kind of band that whenever Jeff Magnum plays anywhere still, like there's 40, 45% of the audience just crying the entire time through because they're having such a spiritual experience. I mean, I'm not sure I agree with it, but I, I do think that it's fair to say that when it comes to like the indie rock realm, Nutrimilk, that, that In the Airplane Over the Sea is one of the high watermarks as far as many people who came up during that time period are concerned. A couple other ones. Now, these are going to be interesting discussion points. Whether or not the sophomore album is superior to the to the debut. John Seaman had a couple. This one probably won't be. Everclear. Sparkle and Fade over World of Noise. I think that Absolutely. that's... Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Sparkle and Fade that's is a great, up. great record. There's a lot of people who love World of Noise and don't like Sparkle and Fade. Like, uh, I know a couple people that wouldn't even listen to Sparkle and Fade but love World of Noise. And I don't, I, I don't have a preference for either of them, but... Yeah, um, I, it's a lot of I probably I probably like that first album more if the the low end on the production wasn't so outrageous. I mean, I I remember popping it in the first time, and I had to I was like, okay, let me turn the bass down about three or four marks because uh, it was overwhelming. Yeah, I, I think the second album overall is a better album too. Not a surf. The proximity effect over high low. Jay and I have some experience because we actually review the proximity effect for the podcast. It's a good record. The only thing I know off a of high-low is a single, though. Anybody have more experience to, to determine whether or not it genuinely is a superior sophomore record? Any not-aheads? <laughs> I would say just in my limited experience, I mean, I've listened to them both, I mean, not like thousands of times, but in comparing them, I would say that the second album is definitely a, a step up. Um, I think that first album kind of rode the wave of the uh, of the single and an odd single uh, that it was. Yeah. Speaking of Weezer, Rage Against the Machine. Tug. Evil Empire over the self-titled debut. I don't no. know how to handle that one. No, the self-titled debut is so much better. I mean, Evil Empire is maybe produced more cleanly, but you, you can't match the, I hate to say it, rage and passion that's on the debut. It also was the kind of album that caught everybody off guard because they're like, oh, you can do that? Yeah, it, it feels like it feels like two different bands almost because the second album is so refined in terms of the songwriting, and the first one feels so much looser and raw. It's just it just sounds like very young. I know they weren't like kids or anything, but it just sounds so much more primal than the second record. Second round is so much more refined compared to that. Uh, I'll just say that this is reminding me that at some point I'd really love you guys to do a show just about Brendan O'Brien because I want to hate on him. Uh, oh, I, I I feel like he ruins the sound of just about every band that he touches. Uh, except, I mean, STP is great, but he started with STP. But I mean, he ruined Kings X for me. He ruined Matthew Sweet for me. Uh, there's just a bunch of bands where I just feel like he kind of watered down their sound. Oh, got a hold of them. Oh, uh, oh, that that sounds like a good uh good round. But table. I disagree with you, and I'll give you an example where I feel like. A sophomore album that he produced, and Jay is probably going to jump down my throat when I say this. <laughs> I think Brad's Brad. second record, produced by Brendan O'Brien, 
is superior to the to the debut. Oh, oh, you. I, I'll give. Did you say Brad? I'll give you that one. I mm. like it. I got. Bastard. I think every song on there is perfection, and I know Jay loves the debut. So that was just that was just a shot across the bow, basically. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I love, love the debut. I, just, I love them both, I but I'm more offended that it seems like you don't love the first one. And I think the that, first that one is me. a little spotty in parts. There's like some goofy stuff, like Rockstar, and just goofing <gasps> around. Definitely, they were high. And you know, I you love think? Sean Smith, rest in peace. But like that has all the like it has, yeah. it's like the first Satchel record. Like there's just some goofy stuff on there and then same thing with Satchel I think The Family is an amazing record Actually, you know what? I'm going to say it. Sean Smith's great on the second record because the the, the second Pigeonhead record is great compared to the first Pigeonhead record, which is an interesting experiment, but it's a lot of weird loops and stuff. And it's yeah. not. It's, so, so what you're saying is it might not be Brendan O'Brien that made that second record great oh, at all. Yeah, uh, that's maybe, true. Well, maybe just Sean had the had the confidence at that point and he rocked the songwriting. Yeah. Well, I think he's the kind of songwriter maybe – what makes uh, good second records is his first records tend to be almost like rough drafts and demo-ish ideas of what a band or a sound could be. And then right. by the second record, they sort of know what they what he wants to do. Um, I, yeah. Maybe that's what makes a lot of these records, the second one, better. Because so the band is more confident in what it is that they're trying to do. I want to throw a couple bands out at and, and albums out to you guys and get your feedback. These are also from John Seaman along with his other um, mentions of Rage Against the Machine and Everclear. Super drag. Head chip yeah. in every key over regretfully yours. Actually, regretfully yours is their sophomore album. I believe. Didn't they have one called 8-Track Hits or something that was their first album? I, I think that's just an EP, isn't it? Yeah, I, th- I thought it was an EP. Let me see. Well, I guess it's only seven songs, so I, I guess technically it's an EP. For our purposes, it's an EP. <laughs> Fine. In that case, I disagree. I like um, Regretfully Years better. Okay. Yeah, that's tough. I, I don't. I have a hard time ranking those records. Other than in- Industry Giants, I'm not a big fan of. But other than that, I like all those records like for different reasons. I don't know if I could say. I don't that. hear a huge difference in first between between the first and the second. I, I like them equally. Seven Mary Three, Rock Crown over American Standard. Anybody have any opinion on that? I've only listened to two songs off of American Standard and none off of Rock Crown. He said, "I think Rock Crown is their best album. It's way more organic. It's a way more organic record than the first release." I'm just going to take his word. Because I don't know. I couldn't listen to every record that everybody brought up. Rock Crown might be a good sophomore slump episode to consider for us. 
But he's saying it's not. He's saying it's a superior. Well, that's what I'm saying. I don't know. I don't know. I've never listened to it. All right. It. Well, I'll Maybe put it in the I'll put it in the queue for next year's poll. I'm giving both seven or three albums a hard pass. Okay, <laughs> that's a hard pass from Mr. Copany. Um, Sponge, wax ecstatic over rotting pinata. I vehemently disagree with this. Me too. Thank you. I think I think rotting pinata rotting pinata has like two classic singles. So we we did a sophomore slump episode on wax ecstatic. Yep. I, yeah, I, I think I liked that one. album better. I don't remember what I said at the time, but it feels more sophisticated and advent, like adventurous and trying new things. And I think the single's awesome. I don't know. The first one just to me seems, yeah, there's a couple of great singles on it, but the rest of the record is not very compelling. Okay, maybe this is more compelling for you. The Wallflowers bringing down the horse over their self-titled debut. <laughs> Did you know that they have a self-titled debut? No. There you go. Yeah. There you go, right there. Some other ones. I want to get into some where the debut, you know this band, and then the second one comes out, and you're like, wow, they really kicked it up a notch. The one that came up, which we've mentioned, was Oasis. I mean, Oasis had three huge singles off of their debut. They were a global phenomenon within the first six months of existing and then the second record takes them even bigger basically on the backs of wonderwall which was like number one across multiple continents so we're just talking sales or charting right well so here's the thing is it does that matter enough does does the purely the commercial success and the radio single success mean that it's a superior sophomore record because i go back and forth on this like i really like a lot of that debut record and there's some stuff on what's storing morning glory which sounds a little bloated not as bloated as be here now but you could tell that they were already getting a so, little get, getting know, a little uh, crazy in the studio this is almost the reverse of weezer where the Radiohead's debut, definitely, maybe, is like the loud, um, we drink and we smoke all the time, and it's just smeary and all over the place, but absolutely amazing. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it hits you right in the chest. And then What's the Story Morning Glory is where Noel decided to start to refine and let more of his Beatlesque tendencies come out, as well as, you know, um, <laughs> biting from some other musicians so much so that he had to pay some of them residual royalties. Like I believe he actually had to give Stevie Wonder a writing credit on one of the songs, if I'm correct. But yeah, what's the story of Morning Glory? I think it sold more and it was more popular. And mm-hmm. obviously getting back to Blur, that was like supposedly the, the fatal blow in the rip pop war between the two bands. But I, like I said, like Weezer, I feel like it's two different types of albums. Like I think they're both great. Okay. Let me throw this one at you guys and see what you think. This was brought up by Darren Leach. He said Pearl Jam versus Over 10. Now we're back to Brendan O'Brien. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that album, but I I love the... There's something about the the emotion that was brought out in the first album by uh, Rick Parasher's production originally that I just... I feel like even like when Brendan O'Brien remixed 10... I felt like there were certain things that were sucked out of that album 
like he brought some stuff to the forefront, which is great. But uh, he's a great mixer. But I feel like he sometimes it, kind of George Lucas is the emotion part. So could you could you make the argument that Versus is maybe the first actual like band effort Pearl Jam album, considering the fact that a number of the songs on Ten were written before Vetter joined the band, and you know a couple of them he sang over them on a cassette tape as his demo. <laughs> yeah. Because I feel like Ten and Verse. Versus is where you start to feel Vetter's influence more, and you can definitely see where the band's going to go. Ten kind of stands out there as like a weird bridge between what Pearl Jam became and where they were coming from, with like Mother Love Gun, the more glam, um, epic production side. Yeah, I mean, Ten definitely stands out in terms of sound. Um, I still, though, feel like that record just it doesn't sound like any other band. And I think some of their other stuff since then has been, I don't know, either I, I could hear other bands in it. When I listen to 10, like I don't hear any other bands on that. Maybe mother love bone, but that's kind of, that's the same band. So that one from a production standpoint and just overall presentation just is so distinct. And 10 definitely tells you where the band's going to go and pretty much has stayed since and sort of that, that that mold They're, they almost sound like different bands in some ways pretty dramatic change change um between those two records for me yeah having spent a lot of time with both those records i would agree they do sound like radically different in a lot of ways even just the guitar approach the way that you know yeah they they the riffs are written and structured they just sound wildly wildly different um yep. so, so I'm, i have Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I was going to go around. Why don't you give me some, uh, some of your thoughts on uh, albums where the, you know, similar to Oasis or Pearl Jam, where it's a little debatable. Um, maybe, you know what? Let's go back to one of your favorite Michael Tupelo. Oh. Because you got no depression and then the sophomore effort still feel gone. I, I, I find myself, I love both albums. I think they're both great. When I'm just looking for something to listen to, I find myself gravitating towards Still Feel Gone nowadays. Yeah. When I, when I was 22 and, you know, drinking cases of beer with friends in college, definitely was going more of the no depression route. Yeah, I agree with you. Still Feel Gone is my first pick as well, which is tough because the first album basically defined a movement. It's like got a magazine named after it. That's a tough one. So... I have one that uh, I, I kind of go back and forth between these just because of my introduction to the band was their first album. Um, but I have a lot of, I, I think I like the second album a lot more, but I still every once in a while get a little sad that it's nothing like the first album uh, is uh, Sloan's twice removed. Um, I, I mean, I can't really talk about chart performance. I don't think either one of those albums really did anything in the U S but uh, like, you know, I, I really thought that they were just going to be kind of a shoegaze band forever with some kind of silly clever lyrics and stuff like that and then that second album came out and it was like all of a sudden it was uh you know pet sounds and beatles stuff just all over the place uh, i don't know if that really counts as what we're talking about or not but uh no no i, I have that on my list too and i think you're absolutely right i mean one sloan's an amazing band and twice removed was a terrific sophomore album after kind of like the more um shoegazy direction they went and smeared and let's not forget that Chart Magazine has done numerous polls and they keep on coming out. That comes out as the uh, best Canadian album of all time. Only really? Displaced, only displaced once by Joni Mitchell's Blue when the 
proposed reconducted in 2000. But then in 2005, they did it again, and twice removed came back to the top spot. So Canadians love their slum, as do and, those, of, those of us in America who have refined and excellent use case. And, and the guy from Canada talks about the Canadian band, right? <laughs> uh, exactly. <laughs> Sorry, a little throwback. Uh, that's crazy. That's not the Sloan album I would pick, but okay. All right, whatever. Um, I think it was. Yeah. You mean it's your favorite Sloan record? Is that what you mean? Or of the two, of the debut and the and Twice Removed? Well, no, I agree that Twice Removed is is better than was it smeared is that the debut yeah yeah but yeah. i mean as far as like if i was going to say what's the best sloan record i wouldn't say it's twice removed you know i would You're go my say? like Where you navy, at? navy blues or yeah maybe it's either navy blues or one chord to another one chord to another that was the one i was trying to remember it was one of those two would be my pick i, I actually love action packed i actually think that they've kind of come back come on strong again uh, not with not with twelve, but I I really like the Commonwealth. Yeah, and, that was uh, good. Um, was it the Double X, Double yeah. Cross? I love that one too. I mean, it, it, there's something I think what's really happened is, is I think that I, I guess I'm finally opening up to more of Jay Ferguson's songs. Yeah. Uh, at, at, especially even the stuff that has like kind of the disco tinge to it. Um, you know, just uh, kind of becoming a sucker for it for some reason. But yeah, I still twice removed. I've probably listened to at least twice as many times as every other album. So I want to mention some other bands and artists real quick from the from the Patreon page, and and shout out to some folks that commented. I want to Marissa mentioned Oasis, which we've talked about. Darren Leach also mentioned Catherine Wheel. He said, "Yeah, Chrome over Ferment. I, that's tough. Those yeah, are two, two totally different records in a lot of ways. Way more shoegaze on Ferment. Chrome is much cleaner, although not as clean as ha- Happy Days. But that's a tough one." He said, uh, "Dandy Warhols." Dandy Warhol's come down over Dandy's rule. Placebos, without you, I'm nothing over the self-titled. Yeah. What else was there? There was there was a lot. I'm trying to go. Oh, Keith Badge. Speaking of Canada, I'm Mother Earth. Scenery and Fish over Dig. Jay, we reviewed Dig, which was their debut. I think we gave it an EP. And yeah. heard Cedaring Fish. Now here's the controversial one from him. Destination Universe over International Pop Overthrow by Material Issue. He said I think mm. he said I think DU has catchier songs with way better production. Hmm. I'm recusing myself from this one. Uh oh. <laughs> too too many too many Chicago connections. I, I can't make a 
I can't be objective. <laughs> he's, he's abstaining from this vote, folks. I've never heard the first record, but I like the second one a lot. No, International Pop Throw Overthrow is the first. Oh, oh, oh. Okay. He's taken this the sophomore, which is Destination Universe. Okay. Over. I haven't heard that one, the second record then. I think Guess I might I have sampled the song. It. And it, I remember the production being better, but I can't say the whole record's better. Jeremy or Chip, have you heard that one? I mean, I haven't listened to them a lot, but I feel like... I feel the same about all three albums, really. I mean, I, I, I think there's things that I like about all of them, and I, I none of them really turned me off in comparison to another one. And then the, the last one that Keith Badge mentioned was Primitive Radio Gods. I'm going to be honest, I've never listened to a single thing by Primitive Radio Gods. He said White Hot Peach, which must be their sophomore record. Anybody listening to Primitive Radio Gods? No. Nope. I mean, the single. Right, that's the only thing I know. I only figured they had one record. That was like a Tal Bachman situation there. Speaking, of yeah, I feel like I should, but uh, every time I read something about it, I'm like, hey, maybe I should listen to that album, and then I just never do. Oh my god, they actually just put out an album in 2016. Really? They have six albums. How is that possible? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's don't you know everyone's getting back together? Yeah, that's maybe true. Maybe it's just been playing that standing outside a broken phone booth with money in my hand over and over and over again. Yeah. So here's the acapella version, now the polka version, and let's do a tango to it. Well, based on that single, I, w- I wouldn't even be able to guess what the rest of the catalog even sounds like. Right? Is it more that? Trump loose with samples over it? I don't, I don't think anybody knows. Yeah. Nobody that, knows. That was my understanding from, from reading reviews is that they were all over the place, but I could be wrong. Yeah. So what haven't I mentioned? I want to go around and ask you guys, what are some ones that are obvious superior sophomore albums that we may have missed? Chip, let me start with you. What what would you say is one that we've not talked about that we should have? All right. I have a short list. I'm going to run through them. Give me your short quick. list. Okay. Hole, Live Through This. Okay. Um, lives, Throwing Copper. Mm, that's a good one. Yeah. Um, the first record it, come out in the '90s or the '80s? Live. They're both '90s. Yeah, yeah. I actually just checked this other one, um, and I don't know that it's superior, but uh, in terms of my favorites, um, Posey's "Frosting on the Beater" over "Dear 23." That's There's their, a problem with that, though. Third record. Yeah. Oh, Fail, that's right. That's right. Failure yep. is their first okay. record. Yep, you're right. So I have another one that's sort of in that same boat. That um, I don't know if there's an exception for this one, but. Um, so I know Pantera had a career before Major Label. They had a different singer, but they, Phil did join them for an independent released album. But then, like, once they got signed and really took off, it's like, is that, that one to me is sort of like a... I'm sort of cheating on that one a little bit. You know, we're pretty loose with, you know, rules and whatnot. We're ignoring EPs. Which were released like Alice and Chase had an EP in between two albums. Existed like Cowboys from so. Hell was like, yeah, I feel like Cowboys from Hell felt like the debut to people because, like I said, there was no internet, nobody knew about the early Pantera independent releases. Mm-hmm. Right. But then Vulgar, Dis- Vulgar Display of Power to me is the best hard rock album of the '90s. And that's another case where those two r- records sound very different, right? I mean, the band has found itself on that second record. And then one more just to throw out in the in the sort of heavy category. Um, I thought the Deftones, um, Around the Fur. 
Oh yeah, that's a good one. Far superior to their first record. Um, one that I forgot that Alex mentioned, Alex Martin mentioned. I don't know if I can agree with this. He picked Sunny Day Real Estate's pink self-titled album over Diary. Ooh, that's a tough one. I don't know if I can go with that. I'm not saying that the self-titled one is lesser than, but it's hard to beat Diary. I don't know if I can do that. Anybody on board with his pick? Mm-hmm. I I kind of like them equally. I, yeah. Right. Just depends on what I want, I guess. If you'd like me to open up the window, I can play some crickets from outside. <laughs> <laughs> All right, James. What have we forgotten that you think we need to uh, discuss in terms of sophomores that are superior? So <clears throat> I kind of have a couple. Um, some of them are smaller bands that had really great sophomore albums that have probably been underrated throughout the years. Um, one of those would be Chicago's Triple Fast Action. Their sophomore yeah. album was Cattlemen Don't, and it was superior to their first album and still, I think, one of the best albums that came out during that time period, which if you go to their record label, you can actually download it for free still. So if people want to be turned on to something really great, um, download it, and then if you dig it, kick them some money. Um, another one, and this goes back to an earlier Dig Me Out podcast, but Tuscadero's um, sophomore album, My Way of the Highway, kind of addresses everything you guys disliked about it, which is the songwriting's tighter, even though I, I love their debut, the Pink Album. Um, their second one, songwriting's tighter. Production is way, way punchier. Um, it's the kind of album that I think that if you gave it a try, you'd enjoy. Um, along those lines, I actually like Tripping Daisy's I'm an Elastic Firecracker, too, um, primarily because when that came out, I was really into Jane's Addiction and really into the Flaming Lips. <laughs> so... That kind of scratched those. And then um, I'm kind of surprised nobody mentioned Built to Spills. There's nothing wrong with love. (laughs) That's that's an obvious one. How did we miss that? How did our patrons miss that one? That's what I want to know. (laughs) Dang. um, I'm also really partial to Belly's King. I thought that that was a really great album produced by Glenn Johns. But again, it was like bigger songs, bigger production, tighter playing just had more of an impact on me. And then two smaller bands that put out um, sophomore albums in the early 90s, okay, they did Kerplunk, which kind of set the template for what they were going to do for the rest of their career. And then um, this Sierra and Nirvana, they uh, did something called Nevermind that did pretty decent. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Boom. So, yeah, I think, that, I think that covers most. Oh, and Fiona Apple, When the Pawn. I think that that's a better album than title. And, and oh, wow. Uh, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Mm. Hope your breaks. <laughs> well, I should have I should have ended on a high note. With <laughs> you you <laughs> ended on some... <laughs> Never mind. But I'm standing by Fiona Apple, too. Ah, that's Man, tough. I, Oof. I've been listening I've been listening to title a lot lately for some reason, and um, I just still can't believe that that's... She wrote those songs when she was 17... And recorded it and released it when she was nineteen. Like that, that I, I liked it when it came out, but I'm appreciating it even so much more now. What a just amazing record that is. If it if it matters at all, when you go to Apple now has an essential albums category, title is not considered a, uh, essential. They have extraordinary machine and when the pawn as the two ex- essential. What? Apple. I'm just saying. That I think matters. I'm wondering that, that when the pawn is definitely the sophomore album from the 90s 
with um, the longest title at 90 words. There's no doubt about that. That is true. That is true. Jeremy, I, I think this would be the opportunity for you to share some of the list that you posted on. Well, I, I cut out website. pretty much every I cut out everything that we talked about already okay. and maybe a few other things that weren't that big of a deal. I, I, I wanted to mention Golden Smog again, uh, just because I I felt like that Weird Tales album was just way better in so many ways. I mean, the first album's all right, but I just feel like that album was just blew the other one out of the water and really showcased all of the members uh, talents, so to speak. Um, Ooh, I was so just so not happy with that. Whatever you just said, I, I started well, getting red in the face and smoke started coming out my ears. Cause I love that first album so much. I think the problem for me though, is I'm probably a little bit, uh, I tend to tend to shy, shy away from things that sound too country. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And I feel like the first album had a lot more of a country feel than the second album. things i felt were really important to mention anyway so i'll just touch on a few of these um i think that grant lee buffalo's mighty joan moon is a very underappreciated uh sophomore album and people all know it for mockingbirds but i i feel like the song i feel like that album is great from beginning to end uh mm-hmm. you guys reviewed uh, lotions nobody's cool um i think that's probably their best album i love all three but that's probably their best um uh, this one's kind of weird, but uh, Machines of Loving Grace, uh, Concentration. Uh, I feel like they found themselves before they lost themselves for the next album. Dada's American Highway Flower, just a lot more mature than the first album. This is what I was interesting. I didn't know about this. Black Crow's uh, Southern Harmony and Musical Companion. Uh, even though I don't think it sold nearly as much as their first album did, it had four number one album rock singles, which yeah. broke, it broke Tom Petty's record for an album doing that. Wow. Uh, I didn't know that until today. I was like, "Oh, that's kind of cool." Um, and I and had then, that on my on my list. Is just, I mean, the first album's great, but that album is just a whole other level. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, kind of a this might be something that that Jay would agree with, but uh, a series of sneaks from Spoon. Um, I, not only do I feel like that's a great sophomore album, but I still actually like the first two Spoon albums more than most of the rest of their catalog. Yep. Um, Amen. Yeah. Yeah. I love love the other stuff, but I really, really love the first two albums. Um, So, and then uh, the the weird one I was going to throw out is uh, 12 Rods uh, Split Personalities. What? Uh, That's a deep deep cut, uh, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So 
just throwing that out there. That's uh, they they. I got their EP when it was self-released because I lived in Oxford at the time, which is where they were from, and I was pretty much hooked from that point on. So, yeah. I uh, I want to put Chip on the spot. Yes. Uh-oh. Blind Melon. <laughs> you know, such a yeah. That, I mean, I, that was on my list. I was going to talk about that one. Um, such a different sound between the two albums. I don't. I can't pick a favorite between the two, but they definitely changed from kind of the granola-y, folky, Grateful Dead meets grunge on the first record to something a little bit more mainstream on the second. But I listen to both of them equally. Okay. For fence sitter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not taking so, a position. So I just thought of one more. Yes. Um, Sparkle Horse. Hmm. Mm. The first record was good, but I, I, the single was great. The someday you will treat me good, um, but man, Good Morning Spider is just top to bottom, amazing. From freshman to sophomore, I was just gonna say there's one big jump that we have all completely forgotten about. Some of us might groan at this one, but uh, Semisonic's feeling strangely fine. No, that's a good pick. That is. I was gonna uh, mention um, Bjork. From debut to post, I have that on my list. I just cut it off. I don't know why. Mm. Okay. I think if you look at the album sales, there's some weird stuff going on between those two albums. Well, to me, it's not necessarily an album sale thing with her. I mean, I just think that that's. Oh yeah, yeah. That's just a superior record. Any others you want to mention before we wrap up? Last second uh, additions to this. We're about to hit the hour mark, and I want to uh, let my neighbors go to bed. <laughs> Jer- Jeremy, uh, where are you at with Badlands? Which of the two records? Uh, oh, the important Badlands decision. Let's get that on that's, the record. That's that's a really tough one. I if you told me to go listen to Badlands right now, I'd probably still get out the first album. I, oh. I I know there's some really I I love the second album, but it, I, I, there's something about the um just the straight up uh kind of Led Zeppelin rocker feel that you get from that first album that uh, I can't can't stay away from and hey one that uh, uh tim you might appreciate maybe i could be wrong is uh god lives underwater life in the so-called space age yeah i'll agree with that that second record's better i i have a similar one in that genre but maybe jim will know this i don't know maybe the rest of you guys know um stabbing westward yes so the second record had a couple singles on it that were big for them that's really what made them the first record's really good wait but I don't a minute think that- what's the second record uh, wither blister burn and peel yes okay i was thinking the first one is ungod right that was the first one yeah and okay. that's got good songs on it for sure right but, um okay but the second one is really what made them uh, kind of blew them up i was getting confused so for a minute i thought you're gonna mention dark darkest days th- yeah is that their third record yep yeah that's their third okay Hey, speaking of that, uh, you might get a kick out of at some point uh, A being the chorus to Ungod with the uh, chorus to Hey Man, Nice Shot. And just yeah. listen to the guitar. You know why that is? Because, well, don't they have a connection like Chris Renner or somebody? Um, yeah, but I think um, the guitar player, Stu, was, was in Filter before it was Filter. Like he was playing with Rich. And then I think he joined Stabbing Westward. Yeah, there's a whole weird connection between them and Nine Inch Nails, too, which I yeah. wanted to mention Nine Inch Nails, but their first album came out in 89, so I left that out. 
Uh, that's true. One I'm surprised that hasn't come up, especially considering the what's going on with them right now. Tool. Anyone? Yeah. Anyone with Enema over uh, Undertow? Without a doubt. I love Undertow, but without a doubt, Enema's superior. How do we? What do we? How do we factor Beck? Is Odalay the second record? Because I know no, there's like a that, I, no. Odalay yeah, is the fourth record. Yeah. yeah, fourth record. Okay. So I know there was I, some I like had originally, I had originally thought that too, but there's two um, before Mellow Gold that were released. One foot in the grave. Yeah, and stereo stereopathic soul manure. Oh yeah, I have both those. Most importantly, where do you guys stand on uh, Watershed's uh, self-titled debut versus the Carpet Clip? They're soft <laughs> Um, I don't know. I couldn't resist. I'm so sorry. I, I don't know. I think I, I think Watershed is like Pantera, in that in that they had a they had a a couple local releases before before their uh, major yeah. labels releases. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's when their first major label release was like a live EP. Yeah, that's when they used to do the let's introduce the band to the public with a live EP or a single or something like that, rather than hey, you you know, the other thing they have going for them is they were the first band that uh, got a shout out from Foo Fighters within their lyrics. What (laughs) (laughs) nice. I mean, well, technically, I think they don't. They say I want to live in a watershed, and then they say I want to listen to Flowerhead. Which, I mean, who on this actually knows? I mean, I know who Flowerhead is, but I have both Flowerhead records. I think. Yeah, that was. uh, I was kind of disappointed in that second one, but yeah, uh, that's the opposite of what we're talking about today, I guess. Yes. Well, I really, I really opened Pandora's box with that joke. Did (laughs) (laughs) see what you did? Um, I'm going to throw out some names, and you, you guys, just thumbs up or thumbs down on whether the sophomore is superior or not. Collective Soul. Yes. That, for, that first record sounds terrible. That's the problem. Our Lady Peace. Oh, I love the first record. I mean, the second record is more like pop friendly, but the first one is way more energy and unique. Ben Folds Five. The uh, second one's better. Okay. I like the first one better. Ah, see? Disagreement. Garbage. Ooh. Self titled or version two. Where do you land? I think a lot of people want to say self-titled, but they're not yeah. going to say it. I like self-titled. No, I got self-titled as well. Supergrass. Uh, the, the, uh, the debut is just top to bottom perfect. Yeah, it's, but it, well, I, I should Coco in, in It for the Money. Yeah. In yeah, It for the Money is where tough. I discovered the band, so I always have a soft spot for that record. Yeah, I like that record. Here's one for you, Jim. Liz Fair, Whip Smart versus Exile in Guyville. Exile and Guyville is the, be- is the better album. Whip Smart is great, but Exile and Guyville is unbeatable. Suede. I had that on my list. I I don't know. I, I There are some things I really like about that first album. They, were, uh, they weren't doing themselves any favors with their album covers for their first two albums either. And that whole London Suede thing made it kind of frustrating too. But uh, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think that that first album has... Uh, I know they did other great stuff after that, but... I feel like first versus second. I think I'd have to go with first. I think the first is 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 more solid. The second, Dogman Star, is definitely showing how the band can sprawl and go into all kinds of different directions. And I think that that is something that is to be lauded. But I think it's also a weakness. Okay. Um, last 
but uh, not least, this is the most important of all sophomore albums of the 90s, Spice World. <laughs> Tell me, folks. No, I'm just kidding. All right. Clearly, it's not. We all, we all know that. Um, I didn't know there was an album for- before that. Well, there's it's the- just not zigazitastic enough. <laughs> we have covered a lot of albums on this show. It's going to be very difficult to pick the musical drops in between all, all these discussions because of uh, there's so many songs and so many bands that we've talked about in albums. So my work will be quite tedious trying to splice in all of the uh, music, but this was a lot of fun. I'm glad we got to reverse the uh, sophomore curse on these records and talk about all the uh, the good sophomore albums that came out in the 90s, not just the slumps. Well, Tim, clearly the outro music is going to have to be Spice Up Your Life. <laughs> exactly. That's what I was planning here. That's that's how I f- finagled that so I could end on the Spice Girls. Jim, Chip, Jeremy, thank you all for uh, joining us. Um, if you want to find out what everyone's up to, go to our guest pages. Uh, we've got links to blogs and stuff that everybody's doing which reminds me jeremy you're gonna have to send me info on what you're doing uh we'll need like a you know social media and whatnot for you for people because now you're gonna have an influx of messages from people fans autograph requests those sorts of things Just for- uh, life life's pretty boring here i don't know uh i don't know if i have much hamilton ohio is about to get real exciting <laughs> and hamilton ontario you're gonna be both it's going to be like some sort of uh, effect there. It's going to it's going to hit both cities at the same time. You're going to be they're going to give you a key to both. Jim, what is the blog that you, people can read you at? Um, Tankboy.us is where they can find me most of the time, or on Twitter under Tankboy. Excellent. And Chip, are you still running um, Columbus Calling? Yes, I am. Excellent. Yeah. Anybody anybody touring to Columbus, or are they still ignoring us? Oh man, um, <laughs> you caught me off guard. No, I'm working on a couple things. I'm working on some interviews. Uh, Red Cross coming up. Um, yeah. Maybe Strand of Oak. There's a Brant yeah. Bjork show coming up that I'm. There is a Brant Bjork. Waiting show. until the last possible minute to buy tickets because I'm at the point now where I I start getting tired at like nine o'clock and I'm like I don't know if I want to go to the show anymore. I don't know if I want to eat these tickets or not. <laughs> so. I'm gonna wait. Sebastian Bach. Sebastian Bach's coming on. Oh, Tuesday. that's right. But it's sold out. Yeah. At, I'll be there. At J Scully's. Sebastian yes. Bach at Scully's. Just in case you're wondering, we play the same venue as Sebastian Bach. So dreams do come true. <laughs> I want to remind everybody out there. Patreon is where you go to support the podcast. You can also leave us positive feedback at iTunes to help us with our rankings, which we gratefully appreciate. Uh, thanks to all our patrons who chimed in on this episode. And for Jay, I'm Tim. We're out, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Thanks for listening. To support the podcast, visit www.patreon.com forward slash out and become a monthly subscriber at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages as well as our merchandise store at Zazzle.com. Zazzle.com